Baby seat. Woo, that was powerful. It is so awesome to have all of you here. Um, thank you so much for accepting an invitation to be here for Friend Day. It's awesome to be surrounded by, by so many friends today. And uh, we want to uh, tell you thank you. And right now there's going to be some folks going around and with baskets and they're going to be giving out little post-it notes we want you to take with you. There's enough for everybody to take one. And we'd like you to take this and you remember this day. There's a great passage to remind you of what your work life should be. I, I really commend you for coming to a series on work. Uh, that sounds like a double shift of boring. But hopefully today, we're going to be able to share some things that are going to actually help tomorrow be a better day. So as you get that post-it note, here's what I'd like you to do. You can see my example here. Write where you work, and then if you feel comfortable, write your name, okay? We're going to put them on boards back in the the lobby after we get through. But uh, where do you show up on Monday? Is it a school? Is it a factory? Is it a sales position? Is it um, a business What's your, do you work from home? Where do you show up on Monday? We're going to want to pray about this over the next few weeks. So as you get these, please keep them. We'll use them a couple times in the message and I'll write that down and then um, we'll have a chance to do something with that later. You know, commonly we, we say the phrase TGIF, thank God it's Friday. And I think yes, and I think if you sincerely say that, I think that's a good phrase because God believes in giving us a moment of rest and recreation. But very few times have I ever said or ever heard anybody say, T-G-I-M, thank God it's Monday. But the truth is, as we look at Scripture today, God wants you to be able to say both, thank God it's Friday and thank God it's Monday. But for some of us, we really struggle with this because to us, Work is literally a four-letter word. It's a curse word. It's a curse. Because there's deadlines, there's computer crashes, there's difficult customers, there's difficult bosses, there's piles of of laundry you may be facing. I think one of the craziest things you ever said is that a mother who stays home with their children is not working. You ever swapped out with your wife and did that? that? That'll teach you how much work it is. And so all of us, you know, this can be so hard. Often we feel like the old Beatles song. What's that? Man. You ever feel that way? You guys are quick. That was really good. You guys, you feel like that often. You get through a work and you feel like, man, I'm just dog tired. I've been working like a dog. And so we have this problem with work in that we have these extremes. On one side, it's this four-letter word that's to be avoided at all costs necessary. I want to work as short as I can in a day. I want to retire as early as I can. I don't want to work. And on the other day, there's some of us, on the other hand, some of us who are tempted to be consumed by work in what we commonly call a workaholic. The, The Bible has that same contrast. On one sense, the Bible says work can be a curse. On the other hand, the Bible says it can also be an idol. It's something you put before your family, something you put before God, and it can become dangerous either way. But here's what I want you to know this morning very clearly. The Bible views your work as a gift. It's a gift from God. And in its proper place, it's a wonderful thing. So we're going to 
do two things this morning. Real quickly, we're going to go through what I call the history of work. And then after that, we're going to prepare each other to be ready to go out and face the work life on Monday. What's the history of work? Start with me in the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I want you to know is that we serve and follow a creative God. We serve a God who worked. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because look what was going on in verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What's that saying? When God started off this creative process, he had a blank canvas in which to build this beautiful place for you and I to live. And after the six days of creation, look what God said, verse 31. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God sits back on his rocking chair on his front porch and he looks across the horizon of the incredible creation of this earth and how beautiful it is. And God is able to stop for a moment and say to himself, it is very good. And then in the rendition in chapter 2, it says, On the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, it sounds like, from our ears, that God just was puckered out and tired by the end of six days of creation. That's The word rested does not mean he was tired. God didn't stop because he was tired. The word rested there comes from the word delight. God enjoyed what had happened. God's able to say, T-M-I-F, thank me, it's Friday, right? Because he's able just to sit back and go, wow, this is a beautiful creation. Here's the first point I want you to know from history is that in the beginning, God worked. We serve a God who loves to work. You know, there are other creation stories in the ancient world where God's hated to work. In fact, the most civilized creation or civilization in the writing of the time of the Bible was Babylon. And they had a scripture sort of like ours, but not inspired. But here's what it taught. All the gods, they had lots of gods, were puckered out and tired of working. And so they went to the king god, Murdoch, and Murdoch decides to create men so that God can offload his work to us. He came up with this ingenious plan to outsource all the God's work to us. In fact, here's what their scripture says. I will establish a savage, not trying to be ugly, but that's what he calls you. Man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might have ease. The gods were tired and worn out, and work was thought at as an absolute burden that was beneath the gods, so they outsourced it. They gave it over to us as cheap slave labor. That's their view of work. Our God's view of work is work is not only something that's good, but it's something that God enjoyed. When Jesus walked the earth in John chapter 5, he said, my father, listen, is always at work to this very day, and I'm working with him. So we have a God who loved work, who enjoyed work. 
And then he begins to share it with us. Look at later in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creation that move among the ground. God blessed them, that's us, and said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God created mankind in his own image. So in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Guys, there's some really significant words there in the text we just read. First of all, the most significant thing is God created us in his image. We weren't created to be different, to be his slaves. We were created to be like him. The word image means there is we represent him. Uh, We we would say sometimes about a father and a son. He's a spitting representative of his father. He looks like him. He acts like him. And what God dreamed of in the beginning, this working creative God, is that he would now share that work with us. So there's that word image. There's the word rule. That's That's a monarchy kind of word. That's a king and queen kind of word. God says, I'm going to rule the earth, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to rule the earth through men and women, and I'm going to fill the earth. Now, that word doesn't mean just that we're going to go procreate and have more children. That's part of it, but really what it means there is we are here to fill the earth. The earth's a beautiful blank slate, and man was tasked with filling the earth with beauty and art and culture and everything good, and then we're going to subdue it. The world was a wild place. It was something that needed to be tamed. I I think of my buddy Chris that was up here with me a few moments ago. He's a forester. What's a forester do? You take a forest and you do something with it. What are we to do? We take a wild river and we make it work for you. We dig deep in the earth's crust for metal that can make our lives better. We take the sun and the wind and the soil and we use it to grow things and do things and accomplish things. We build houses. We invent inventions. We learn how to use computers. We make beautiful music and beautiful art and technology. We take this earth, we fill it, and we subdue it, take the wildness to make it do something good. And so in the beginning, not only was God a worker, but in the beginning, we were privileged to be God's co-workers. You, You might say this, We are kings and queens. The position God gave man was of reigning monarch. That's who God wants you to be. And so there's some cool news there. In the beginning, we were God's co-workers. Now, the story takes a bad turn in just the next chapter. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember the story that sin entered the world and it just messed everything up, including work. Look at what was said to Adam. Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though painful toil, you will eat food for all the days of your life. God says, in the fall, work became difficult. Where God had made us co-workers, there's lots of things God could do all by himself. He created us or man, Adam and Eve, out of the dust of the earth, he decides he wants instead now to work with us through men and women to create 
beautiful living beings. God could have fed the earth by just sending manna from above. He did that once, but he would rather feed the earth by being a co-worker with farmers than other people to feed us. And so everything was glorious and wonderful, and then the fall happens, and now if you're that farmer, you got thorns and thistles. If you're a worker, you know, you got broken copiers. You get annoying emails. Probably got a box full of them right now. Difficult bosses, lazy employees, strained relationship, long, crazy hours. And we all have somebody working beside us with coffee breath. I mean, work has become difficult. And then here's the cool news. Jesus came, and God finally had a man to reign with him that was sinless and so Jesus and God, the Father, are absolute partners. Why, how can you tell that? Because Jesus is always talking to God. And all across the world, things start getting the way they were supposed to be in the beginning. And before Jesus left, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he now says to you and I, I want to restore you to that original position. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Paul has already said that Jesus was the second Adam. He came to undo all the mess that happened because of the first Adam. Romans chapter 5, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more would those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? That's us. And the gift of righteousness, that's you. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's that kingly language. We reign in life. Jesus came, and we're restored as God's co-workers. And things begin to heal. And God, that's our job today in your work. Wherever you work, whatever you do, you are to co-work with God to bring heaven to earth. So we wait one day where heaven completely comes to earth. And that's the last part of the history of work. In heaven, we will work with God forever. Now, sometimes we, we, we've been brought up to think that um, heaven's just going to be me sitting on a cloud playing, strumming a hum, a hum excuse me, a harp. I only hum. I mean, a harp forever, all right? No, 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 no. If if you read the book of Revelation, heaven is still a place of work. It's still a place of of co-working with God to create beauty. And so that's the history of work. That's all good. And I appreciate that theologically. But you say, buddy, okay, that's nice. But how does that help me on Monday morning when I go to serve at that restaurant? When I go to build that house? When I'm that anesthesiologist at the hospital? When I'm that tech guru, when I'm that teacher, when I'm that student at school, when I'm out sweating landscaping, when I'm making, trying to make the next sale, how in the world can I say tomorrow, after we leave this place, thank God it's Monday. I I sent a, a Facebook message out earlier in the week asking people to tell me why Monday was such a hard day. And I got lots of different responses. Here's what some of you said. A lot of people at my work come to work on Monday with bad moods. They don't want to be there. A lot of folks said, you know what, the problem with Mondays is I always start with this long to-do list, and it's overwhelming. Someone said, when I see everything I need to accomplish, it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. 
And so people said, Monday is not always a really easy day as you go back to work. Some of you teachers, you understand that, man. You got that break, and all of a sudden now you're back with 30 kids in your room. And how do you handle it? So I'm going to give you five points to close out. We'll, we'll delve in these deeper over the next few weeks. Because I really want, before you leave here today, that God's Word will teach us the things to make our Mondays better. Here's number one. Embrace the fulfillment of work. Instead of looking at work like a four-letter word, embrace that God says your work is actually a gift from Him. In fact, it's a basic necessity of life. We know we need oxygen. We know we need food. We know we need prayer. We need some basic things in life. We need friends, relationships. But I would add to that list, work is part of the core of who God made you. That's why you see some people, when they retire, they're miserable. Because they retire, and their idea of retirement was to sit in their lazy boy and, you know, watch Netflix, you know, for days. I don't know about you, I've tried that for a couple of days, it's sort of fun. But after that, I'm just sort of bored stiff. The people who retire and actually enjoy retirement are people who go out and serve, people who have projects to do. They have something in front of them because, guys, a part of your DNA is that you are meant to get fulfillment from work. Let me just use a couple of really simple examples. How many of you love the smell of fresh-cut grass and you love it after you've cut the grass? Everybody, everybody, man, there's a lot of hand-raising, man. I mean... I didn't know y'all did that. I mean, it just, it just, um, I mean, you just look out after that, out, uh, over that lawn, and man, you, why? Because there's a sense of accomplishment. Let me tell you the only thing I think is better than that, pressure washing. Man, if you can find me a dirty sidewalk, man, with a pressure washer, man, and you're going down that thing, there's a fulfillment. Many of us who don't have jobs that end up on spreadsheets, it's awesome to do something. You actually see progress. And here's what I want you to know. That's not by accident. God made you that way. So when you go to work tomorrow, understand that this, this is something to be fulfilling. Number two, enjoy your partner in work. God says when you get in your car to go to work tomorrow, you're not driving by yourself. God is there as your partner. When you work, walk in that workspace or you walk in that office to make a sale, you're not doing it by yourself. In fact, I love the passage that's on your post-it note. Let me read the whole thing, Colossians 3, 23. Listen closely. Whatever you do, that that covers pretty much. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart. Well, how in the world can I do that? I've got a terrible boss. You're not working for her. You're not working for him. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Maybe you don't feel very rewarded by the people you work for. Here's the promise of God. I'm going with you. I want you to do it in my name, and I'm going to reward you. So make sure when you go, you remember, you know, I'm not working for this person I think that passed me over. I'm working for God. And then number three, the sort of surprising point to me, grow through the difficulty of work. Here's the cool thing about God. God can take even the thorns and thistles of the fall, and he can take, like you sang a few moments ago, all things and make them good. So even those difficult moments of life can change you. Over the last couple of decades, probably the foremost Christian authority on spiritual transformation 
is a man named Dallas Willard. He's written a lot of books. I'd never seen this quotation until this week, but it says a lot. The primary place for spiritual formation, here's, he said, is not church. It's not your quiet time. It's not even your small group. The primary place, Dallas Willard says, for spiritual transformation is your workplace. Now think about it. It's in the difficulties that you learn patience. It's when someone's done you wrong, you learn how to forgive. When people annoy you, you learn how to love. When you fail, you learn humility. And above all, we learn discipline in our workplace that will serve us well everywhere else in our life. So I know every one of us have probably got some some complaints about our work. God can even use those. Number four, I love this one. Celebrate your accomplishments at work. Learn to delight. Now, I don't know how you do it. You probably are tech enough that you use your phone, but I still order a daytimer. They still, they still make those things, all right? And I order a daytimer, and so every day I write out a nice list of things to do. And I do get incredible fulfillment like you probably do by checking those things off. And, and that's awesome. But here's my problem. At the end of the day, I don't normally stop and celebrate what God has done. Normally, I may go home, and what I'm going to do before the next day is take my day timer back out and make my checklist for tomorrow. I never get to enjoy what's happening. God would say, slow down, buddy. Stop it. Just stop. Cease. Rest. Delight. Just look over all the ways God has used you, all the things you've accomplished, and just give your moment, give yourself a moment to just bask in it. And I'm not just talking about the things you check off your daytime. I'm talking about the way you glorify God, the way you encourage the co-worker, the way you show di- something different about you, the way you worship God at work. Guys, you don't just worship God in this building. You worship God through your work. And so you take the time at the end of the day to review those things and celebrate. And then one more point here, plan your break from work. Listen to me. We've said this. Work is good, it's a gift, but only so much of it. Rest is good, it's a gift, but only so much of it. And God gives us some pretty strong statistics. Work six days and have at least one day where you rest. Plan that. In this series, we'll spend a Sunday talking about the importance of Sabbath rest. I need to get there because I need to hear this lesson. God says, if you just keep working and working and working and working, number one, you're not going to be very effective. And number two, you're going to be miserable. And if you just goof off and goof off and goof off and goof off, number one, nothing's going to happen. And number two, you're going to be miserable. But if you get the correct balance here, where you plan some breaks, where you Sabbath, you get away one person on my Facebook page, I asked him what was difficult about Monday. This is what she wrote. My challenge is feeling competent to do my job. She's a teacher. I struggle with anxiety as Monday comes wrong. I have to keep reminding myself that God equipped me and that God is strong when I'm weak. And then she said this. 
Sunday morning keeps me going. I need a Sabbath to worship and to refresh my spirit. She gets it. I ask you to ask me, do we get it? So we're going to do a couple things in the next couple moments, all right? I want you to take your, um, your pad back out, your notepad, and we're going to have a, a, just a time of prayer. I want to invite all of our shepherds that are here and all of our ministers and their spouses, if they would come and surround the stage, someone will be in the back, but we want people all around this worship center available to pray with people because I found out, guys, we found out first service, this is a big topic we're talking about today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your little post-it note. What I'd like you to do, and I'll give you an example here, I want you to, first of all, write your name on the top of it, all right? And we're going to pray about Monday. Go on two slides, if you would. I want you to write your name on it, and then I want you to write what your issue is at work, okay? So I've written mine. (laughs) Sorry, Jeremy. I I finally had to say it, man. (laughs) You wrote the same thing. I, 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 you should see us argue about some things. No, honestly, that's a, that that's an absolute joke. Okay, um, I just wanted you to have an example. I work with wonderful people. All right, but we all have parts of our work we don't like. Right. So what I want you to do right now is, is just write down your name and write down something you need pray, praying about. And what I want to invite you to do in the next moment when we start singing is you go to one of these people or couples and just, all you got to do, you don't even have to speak if you want to, just take this off and show them your name and your prayer requests. Maybe it's because you got some difficult people around you. Maybe you have a hard time getting along with your boss. Maybe you got passed over by a promotion. Maybe you don't have a job right now and you need a job. Maybe you need another job. Maybe you're just strung out and stressed out by school because that's where you're going to show up tomorrow and you really don't feel like it. I mean, it could be a multitude of reasons why you need to be prayed about. Maybe you've been hurt at work. Maybe you've had a great victory at work and we'd love to take the time just to say thank you to God for what he's done. Maybe you're just under, I look around here, I know enough of you. Some of you are out you're under incredible pressure. And so today, before you walk out of here, we want to bless you. And so as we start to sing this song, all you got to do is get up, take your little post-it note to somebody around this place, and let them pray for you. But before we do that, I want to make one more point. Because this whole work idea is an awesome idea until you come to salvation, okay? You know, there, there are two times in the Bible where God said, it is finished. We read the first one today in Genesis chapter 2. And and, and in that moment, when God says, I finished the work, here's the cool thing, God rested. But you can see up here in John 19, Jesus said the same thing again. It is finished, but he said that, listen closely, so we rest. See, don't leave here and go, yeah, man, buddy, I need to get to work. I need to earn my salvation, man. I need to read my Bible more and pray more and go to church more and give more. No, no, no. All your work is not going to be a blessing that way. It's going to be a frustration because you can't do enough to save yourself. The only one who can save you is Jesus Christ. Reminds me of the man who comes up to the pearly gates and Peter's standing at the gates and, and he says to the man, prove to me why you should enter into heaven. And the guy said, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was going to ask this question. He said, man, I went to church every Sunday. That's not enough. Well, I even went on Wednesday nights. (laughs) That's not enough. 
I read my Bible all the time. Nope. I pray a good bit. Nope. I've given 10% of my money. Not enough. No way you can get in. The man just, he didn't know really what to say. And so he just sort of turns around and starts walking off. He just says, I guess my only hope is the mercy of God. And Peter said, come on in, man. That'll get you in every time. And today, let me tell you, if you want to be saved, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, don't don't try to work for it. Don't try to earn it. You can't. Just say, I want to throw myself on the mercy of God. That, to me, is the beauty of baptism. Baptism is the moment where I say, I can't save myself. I'll just throw myself on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today, if you'd like to be baptized, come meet me on this front row, and you can start your life all over again. Or if today you're like most of us in here, you need some prayers about your workplace. Please, even if you're our guest today, we want you to feel comfortable just to bring that little note up and let somebody pray for you so that your Monday could be better. Thank God it's Monday. Let's all stand together and sing.